This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. I'm going to ask you to imagine something with me for a second. And this is going to be an all play, okay? So everyone gets to use your imagination this morning a little bit. You might be here and you would say, I'm a Christian. This is for you. You might be here and say, no, I'm not a Christian. I want you to use your imagination too. You might have to imagine a little more, but I want you to use your imagination. You might be here and say, uh, never been one. Don't ever want to be one. You might be here and say, I'm exploring the idea of becoming one. You might be here and you're a longtime Christian. You have worn uh, little grooves in your seat because you've been sitting in that same seat for so many years. And you think to yourself, I could probably preach this sermon better than Kevin. You're probably right. You probably could. This is for you as well. This isn't all skate. This isn't all swim. This isn't all play. Get ready. Imagine with me what it would look like to have absolute confidence. I'm talking 100% trust that there is a God. Just think about that. Imagine with me. You might not believe that, but imagine if you did, had 100% confidence there is a God, and not just any God, but that this God is a personal God. Like God knows your name, knows your thoughts, knows your hopes and your dreams and your wants and your desires and your fears. That this God is always only good. Imagine what it would be like to have complete confidence that this God is always looking out for your best interest all the time. Imagine what it would be like if you had absolute confidence that when you went through difficult points in your life, that God would be there walking with you through those moments and in those moments, that the God who walked you to those moments would see you through them and out the other side. Imagine having complete—here's the word—faith which is just a big word for trust. Imagine having complete faith, 100% big faith, that when things went bad, God hadn't left. Imagine having the kind of trust or confidence or faith that when things went really good, when you started making more money than you could ever imagine— that you didn't have to lose who you were in the midst of it. Imagine when things got really good, when she was so far out of your league and yet she still kept coming back. She even lets you put a ring on it. Imagine the kind of trust that when things got good, you didn't have to puff up about it because you knew it was a good God who had given you this good thing. And at the same time, you wouldn't have to worry that the bottom was going to fall out because that good God that gave you this good thing would be walking with you the entire time. Imagine having 100% trust that caused you to never have to worry about your life. When the doctor gives a prognosis that is less than what you want, imagine the kind of, of confidence that said, God's still walking with me. The kind of confidence that when things got really hard, when you experienced a temptation where you felt like you would not be able to walk through, you could say, God, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I still, I have complete confidence that you are strong enough to walk me through this. Imagine the kind of confidence in God that caused you to stay when it'd be easier to go, to keep quiet when it'd be easier to defend yourself. The kind of confidence in God that no matter what was going on around you, 
you had an anchor point. Imagine the kind of confidence in God that people around you would start saying, do you realize what's going on in the world? I mean, do you really see it? Is your head buried in the sand? Because you just seem joyful all the time. And you would say to your friend, I do see what's going on. In fact, I might actually see it clearer than you see it because I see what's happening in this world in light of a grander narrative that is happening in the world. And maybe in spite of what I see or more likely because of what I see in this world, it grows my confidence in God. See, as we look through the pages of the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see all kinds of different stories. There are biographies about people's lives. There are poems that are written. There are songs. There are teachings and letters that kind of guide life. There are what I would call small narratives in these 66 letters that make up the Bible. But these small narratives point to a grand narrative or an overarching story about human history. And the overarching story of human history is this. God wants to grow up and blow up that kind of confidence in your life. That the God of the Bible is the God who takes ordinary people like you and me, and he grows up our confidence in such a way that we would say, oh my gosh, look at that, look at that faith. But the grand narrative of the Bible is a narrative of a God who started with the confidence of people. People lost their confidence in God. And then God has spent the rest of the pages of these stories telling a grand story of rebuilding our faith or our confidence. So let me tell you how it starts. It starts off in the first letter of the Bible called the book of Genesis. And in this letter, there's a man and a woman, this first couple, and they have confidence in God, but somewhere along the way, they break confidence with God. If you've read the story, you would say that they disobeyed God, but it wasn't primarily a disobedience issue. It's not like God gave them a checklist of 10 things to do and they got nine of them done and God said, oh, you missed one, you're out. See, the story of this man and woman is the story of a couple who somewhere along the way started to question whether or not God was really for them. They started to ask if God was holding out on them. God, is there something over here that you're not telling me? And somewhere along the line, they lost confidence in God. And when they lost confidence, they didn't obey God. But obedience wasn't ultimately the issue. The issue was a lack of trust, a lack of confidence, or you might say a lack of faith that God was good for them, that God was not holding out on them, but actually had a grand plan for their lives. And so the rest of the story of the Bible is God rebuilding that confidence. So God grabs this group of people known as the nation of Israel and God doesn't start by giving them a list of things to do. He doesn't start with the Ten Commandments. Do this, do this, do this, and do this. What does God do? God starts by taking a group of people who are slaves in Egypt, and he brings them out of slavery. He delivers them. He protects them. He saves them. Why? To rebuild their confidence that God is for them. And then once he's rebuilt their confidence, he says, now here's a way for you to live that is honoring to me, that is best for you, but he starts with confidence. 
which is no surprise that we get to the New Testament and we have these four biographies of Jesus' life. And Jesus doesn't come on the pages of human history and say, let me give you 10 more things to do. I'm God in a bod. Let me tell you what God wants you to do. What does Jesus do? Jesus walks around and he reminds people, God is not your enemy. God is not distant. He's not far from you. He hasn't forgotten about you. God sees you. God knows you. God loves you. And God's, Jesus uses this big phrase, kingdom. God's dwelling place is enveloping you. Why does he do it? Because he knows that if it was lack of confidence that broke the relationship between God and people, it is the reestablishment of confidence that will rebuild the relationship between God and people. Which is why I want for you more than anything else in this world, I want for you to rebuild your confidence in God, your trust in God. What I would say is that I want for you, and we want for you at New Life, to grow your faith in God. And everything we do at this church is designed to help you and to help me grow our confidence. So what I want to do for the next five weeks is I want to talk about five things. We're basically pulling the curtain back and telling you this is how, after 20 years of leading a community of faith, not me personally, because I was 18 when this church started, but I was here almost from the beginning, tongue ring, gauged ears, bleached hair and all. You think I'm, that's not funny. That's the 90s, okay? Thank you very much. Sync Christmas is still my favorite Christmas CD of all time. Followed closely by Mariah Carey Christmas. Can I get an amen? Okay. Did you know, by the way, I, this is what happens. See, uh, people tell me you go off track. This, this is what happens. You're doing good, and then you go off track. But I just have to tell you, all I want for Christmas is you, that Mariah Carey song. It hit the Billboard Top 10 for the first time ever this year. Timeless, baby. That's timeless. That's all. That literally has nothing to do with this message. But over 20 years, cut that out. Big faith, big faith, back at it. What's that? What's that? Over 20 years, we have learned that there are five things, five things that every one of us could do to grow up and to blow up a big, Bold, strong confidence in God. Here's the thing. Trusting God is the game changer. It is. Because obedience always follows trust. I have two kids, nine and six. I can't guarantee that they will always obey me. But I can hedge my bets that if they trust me, that dad cares about them, 
The dad loves them. The dad always has their best interest in mind. I can hedge my bets that if I can grow their confidence in me, they will choose to obey me when they have that choice. So God could come at us and say, I'm God, you're not, do what I say. But he knows that'll never lead to freedom. At the very best, it'll lead to rule following that keeps us trapped in different boxes than we were trapped in before. So what does God do? God says, I'm going to do my best to show you that you can trust me. So when I say something that seems outside of the box or crazy, you'll try. That, friends, is faith. Now let me take you to a story written by a guy named Luke. Now Luke is this really interesting cat. Luke, who was a doctor by trade, he had a practice. He was a physician, and he met Jesus, and he he came to believe that Jesus was legitimately God in the flesh, that Jesus lived, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose again. And he had so much confidence in that that he left his healthcare practice to go around the ancient world and interview people and get their stories about Jesus and then write them down in this biography called the book of Luke. Imagine the kind of confidence you would have to have to leave everything you've ever known, to leave your vocation, to leave the thing you'd studied for your entire life simply to follow Jesus. This is the kind of confidence that Luke has. And Luke tells a story about a guy who has increasing confidence in Jesus. We find it in Luke chapter 5, this biography of Jesus's life. Jesus is walking around some towns and a man comes along to him. I think you'll find it up on the screens. I think you'll find it in your notes. He's walking around this town and a man comes along who's covered in leprosy. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And when he saw Jesus, he fell down with his face to the ground and he begged him for something. But let's just pause. See, in the ancient world, leprosy, what can I describe it to? You know how when your friend comes over to your house and you're having a nice time, you hug them, you welcome them in, you're sitting there, you're, you're eating you know, chips and salsa out of the same plate, and then partway through the conversation, they say, oh yeah, everyone at my house has a stomach bug, and you pull back inside because you're pretty sure that now you have just ingested a stomach bug. And socially, you can't kick them out in that moment, but emotionally, you have this horrible turmoil inside of you. Am I the only one? No, come on. It's like when your kids come home from school with that dreaded letter that says someone in their class has head lice. And the first question you ask is, who wasn't at school today? (laughs) Johnny. This is what leprosy was like times 10. Leprosy was, was a skin disease. And it was actually all number of skin diseases, but it was highly thought to be highly contagious so highly contagious that if you had leprosy, you were forced to live outside of town in these leper colonies, colonies of other people who had leprosy. And if you ever entered into a town where there were other people, you'd have to cover your head and cover your body so that it would not get out. Because people were afraid, literally just being in this close proximity, it would emanate out and attack them. So you'd have to cover yourself And this was a culture that talked about being clean and unclean. So you would have to cover yourself up and you would have to scream as you walked through a city, unclean, unclean, unclean. And everyone would part. It was horrible. It was an ongoing perpetual illness 
which attacked your body, but it was also an ongoing social rejection. No one would talk to you. No one would look at you. No one would touch you. Your family had abandoned you to these colonies. So there's the physical issue. There's the emotional issue. Then there's the spiritual issue. Because religious people, the ones that should have been gathering these communities together in Jesus' day, they believed that in order to get into God's presence, you had to be clean and lepers were unclean. And so the religious people who should have been going to the community to wrap their arms around him was the furthest ones pushing him away. And so this leper, this guy, musters up all of his strength, all of his courage, everything he has. And he puts on his robe and he covers himself and he walks into town, unclean, unclean, and he sees Jesus. And I can only imagine what he's thinking. If religious people reject me, I've heard about Jesus. Jesus is claiming to be God, the most religious, religious person there is. If religious people reject me, what is God in the flesh going to do? But he thinks, I can't live like this anymore. So what does he do? He runs up to Jesus and he begs him and he says this, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He doesn't say, Jesus, because I've done this, because I've mustered up all my courage and all my trust and come to you, you have to make me clean. Get to it. Make it happen. But he does say, I trust that you can do it, even if you choose not to do it. See, here's the thing. Some of us were raised in a a faith tradition that says, if we just muster up enough trust or faith, God will have to do what we want God to do. But that's not actually Christian faith. That's, That's magic, right? That's superstition. If I just have enough confidence, God will have to do it. That's karma. If I do enough good things, go to church enough, read my Bible enough, pray enough, God will have to do what I want. That's not Christianity. That's karma. Listen, that's vending machine faith. That's transactional faith. That's not the kind of trust God is talking about. God is talking about a trust that believes the best, that God can do it, whether or not God does do it. This is the kind of trust that God is trying to build in us. I've taken to using this phrase, and you've probably heard it before, but I want to get it in our minds. When I talk about faith, when we talk about faith, we're talking about trusting God enough to try. That's what we're talking about. Faith does not guarantee outcome. Trusting God doesn't mean that life will always be easy. It doesn't mean that your marriage will always be perfect, that your kids will turn out, that you'll stay healthy. That's not faith. That's superstition. That's magic. That's vending machine. That's not Christianity. Christianity, true trust, true faith. It says, God, I trust you enough to try even when I don't, I don't see the outcome. It's God, I trust you enough to try even if it's terrifying. Notice how Jesus replies. He says, says Jesus reached out his hand and he touched a man who probably hadn't been touched since the diagnosis. 
And as he touches him, this social stigma goes away because a religious, a faith-based person is actually touching him. And as he touches him, in the ancient world, people believed that if, if a clean person touched an unclean person, that the germs would just come all over them. But something different happens with Jesus because he's God. He touches the person and the clean goes from Jesus to the man. Jesus says, I am willing, be clean. And the leprosy left the man. See, as we read the pages of the New Testament, you know what makes God jump up and down with joy? It's when God's children, by the way, every single one of us is invited to be adopted into God's family, to be God's child. When God's children trust him enough to try. And we get that in human relationships. What brings joy to my heart? It's when I'm five or 10 minutes late to pick my kids up from school and they're sitting there on a bench and they're waiting and all their friends are getting picked up and dad's 10 minutes late. You know what brings me joy? It's when they say, you know what? Dad's late, but he said he was going to pick us up. So I'm not going to freak out. I'm not going to start walking home. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to wait because dad said dad was going to come. And I believe that dad's going to come. Even though he's not coming in my timetable, I still think dad is going to, to come. That's the kind of trust that God wants from us. It's when, it's when your spouse is running a few minutes late and doesn't call. And your first thought isn't, where is she? What's going on? Your first thought is, oh, she must be running late. He must be running late. I'll start dinner for them. To what your spouse would say, you're actually starting dinner for you, just so you know. (laughs) And this is exactly what God wants. The Bible tells us that God is this perfect, loving, caring, powerful, strong, always there Heavenly Father who wants us to trust Him. So the question should be for us how do we grow our trust? And here's what I'll tell you ultimately, you can't grow your faith. Only God can grow your faith. But you and I can put ourselves in environments that increase our chances that our faith will grow. So you can't grow your trust, but God can grow your trust, and you can put yourself in places where your trust can grow. And there are five things you can do that we're going to talk about over the next five weeks to put yourself in environments where your faith can grow. And I'm going to tell you what those five are right now, just so you can be thinking about them, but I want to give you a few disclaimers first. The first disclaimer is this. It's not what you think. If you were raised in church, you think, just like I used to think, that the way we grow is by someone feeding us more information, giving us better information, teaching us something we don't ultimately already know. But according to this guy named Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, who was a faith growth expert, Paul says that's not how you grow your faith. Paul says that's when you're a, when you're a baby in the faith. Yeah, that's how you grow from baby to child. Someone has to feed you, just like you have to feed a baby. But when you grow in your faith a little bit, when you become an adolescent in your faith, it's not about someone feeding you more information. It's about you learning how to do five key things. So the first thing is it's not what you think. The second is there's not a list in the Bible for each one of these. So if you're looking for the list, it's not there. These are themes throughout the Old and New Testament of the Bible. The third is we orient our church around these five things. So virtually everything we do is going to fall into one of these five categories. You might not like the things we do. You might not like the way we do them, but you owe it to yourself to know why. 
Because we believe that these are the five things God uses to grow your faith. And the last caveat is this. We might be wrong. We might be wrong. I heard a a pastor say one time, the best you can say is I'm probably right, but I might be wrong. There's some humility there. There's some wisdom there. But I'll tell you, based on 20 years of evidence, I think we're probably right. But we might be wrong. If we are, it'll come clear. All right, so if you interviewed 100 people and asked them, what grew your faith or your trust in God? 99 people would say these five things. The first is this, practical teaching. If you surveyed 100 people, they would say to you, there was a point when I went to a Bible study, or I went to a church, or I went to a group, or I went to a podcast, and all of a sudden someone started talking about the Bible, and they took it out of the first century and into the 21st century, and for the first time ever, the Bible made sense to me, and I realized there were things in the Bible that actually mattered to my life today. The second is this, providential relationships. Again, I'm just going to blast through these. These are our next five weeks. If you surveyed 100 people, they would say to you, man, I was going about my life, and then I started having coffee with this guy. Then I met this gal. Then I joined this group. Then a few of us, I met this coworker. I moved in, this neighbor moved in next door. And all of a sudden, we started talking. And as I talked to them, as I got to know them, they just started sparking things in me, and my faith grew. And it wasn't like any other relationship. It's like God plopped them down in my world. It was almost, you would say, providential. And if you think back, and I think back to our own faith journey, there's probably been one or two or five people. And you thought you were just having coffee or going to breakfast or meeting for a life group. But you look back and you realize that that relationship was almost like God just plopped them down. It was providential. The third thing God uses is what we call private spiritual practices. If you were raised in other faith traditions, you might call these spiritual disciplines. I just don't like that. Like, I don't know. Like, it's not a discipline in the negative sense. It's a discipline in the sense of a practice that you do regularly. But if you surveyed 100 people and said, how does your faith grow? They would say, well, someone taught me how to read my Bible by myself. Someone taught me how to pray in my own words. Not the words that were in a book. I was going along and someone challenged me to give for the first time. I was going along and someone taught me how to fast. I thought the only time I fasted or skipped a meal was when I forgot to make lunch for myself. But they said that there's a spiritual component. Not a surprise fast, but a planned fast. How many of us do surprise fasts? I do that at least once a week. It's like super spiritual. No, no, just bad eating habits. But if you surveyed 100 people, they would say, At some point, I learned, or someone taught me, some spiritual practices that have grown my faith. The fourth is this, personal ministry. If you surveyed these same hundred people, they'd say, I was going along, and all of a sudden, I started volunteering at this nonprofit. Started volunteering in my kid's school. Started volunteering at my church went on a global project and started serving around the world. And all of a sudden, my world expanded. And I was doing something beyond myself for the sake of someone else. And I was scared to death. And you know what happened? Because I was so scared, I really started to pray for real that time. Like, God, help me. God, I need you. And you know what God did? God helped me. And it grew my faith because I served. That's why when we talk about knowing your go, 
your area of strategic service influence. It's not for the sake of them, whoever them might be. It's good to serve other people. God uses strategic service to grow us. And the fifth is this, pivotal circumstances. These can be really good. You have a baby and you and your spouse think, man, we want to raise our baby to know God, but we don't actually know God. So you start going back to church because you had a kid. More often than not, pivotal circumstances can be really hard. I got a diagnosis. She left. Um, we had, we, I lost a job. These are circumstances where you would say, I never want to go through it again. But in the midst of it, God showed up. And those words that Jesus says in the book of Matthew, where Jesus says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. All of a sudden, they weren't just words on a page. They were realities in my life. And you and I would say, I don't want to go through that again. But God used it to grow my faith. Now, here's the thing. This isn't a list. I'm not giving you five things to check off because the truth is you can't, you can't manufacture pivotal circumstances. You can't manufacture um, providential relationships. But here's what we can do. We can put ourselves in environments that increase the chances that we will experience those things. So today, if you're like me, today you start thinking, well, what's next year going to look like? What are my hopes? What are my dreams? What are my goals? What do I want 2018 to be marked by? What if every single one of us in this room moved? I want to grow in my confidence in God, in my trust in God. What if we moved that to the top of our list? Because here's the thing. I can't necessarily help you with weight loss. I can't tell your boss to give you a promotion. What I can do, what we can do as a community is help you make that goal a reality. So you could have the kind of confidence in 2018 that's big and bold and strong and trusts God enough to try even when things seem impossible. And God might just meet you in that place and do impossible things in you and through you. As we wrap our time up, I want to invite you, if you've never made a decision to place your trust or your confidence in God, that's the starting point for this journey. It doesn't mean you have to know everything. It doesn't mean you have to have all your questions answered. It simply means that you would say, there's something about this. I really do want to put my trust in a God who knows me and loves me and has plans for my life. Boy, if that's you, I want to pray for you and give you a chance to do that. And then next week, We'll start this off. You do not want to miss this series. I'm telling you, if you want to grow in your trust in God, I can't do it for you, but I can tell you how to do it. So join me. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you don't make us jump through hoops. You don't make us memorize chants or sayings or spells or incantations in order to walk with you, to follow you, to grow in our confidence in you. Thank you that you simply give us clear, practical steps to create the space for you to move in our lives. So God, would you do that as we head into 2018? Would you show us, each of us, 
how to put ourselves in environments that would increase the chances that our faith could grow up into grown-up big faith. Friend, if you're here this morning and you've never placed your confidence or your faith in Jesus, that is the first step to reestablishing this relationship, and I want to give you a chance to do that now. So I just want to give you a simple prayer that you could say to God if you wanted to right where you're sitting There's nothing magic about it. It's just some words that you could say to God to begin this journey with him. So if you're ready to make that decision, you can simply pray this prayer. Say, God, I want to walk with you. God, I want to place my trust in you because I believe that you are ultimately good, that you're for me, that you have great plans for my life, So God, would you come into my life? God, would you forgive me of the ways that I have broken that relationship with you and that I've hurt myself and hurt others? Would you begin to heal the places of pain as you restore our relationship and teach me how to walk with you? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week, a great new year. We'll see you back here next time. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.